When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Good afternoon, my name is Adrian Dix, I'm BC's Minister of Health. To my right is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. This is our COVID-19 briefing for British Columbia for Tuesday, March the 2nd. We're honoured to be here on the territory of the Lekwungen-speaking people of the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations. Um, tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll be providing a briefing uh, or a written uh, briefing at uh, around 3 o'clock with relevant information about COVID-19 in British Columbia, including case counts. On Thursday uh, in the early afternoon, we'll be doing a briefing and uh, our regular update in person here at the Press Theatre in Victoria. And with that, it's my honour to introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you and good afternoon. Uh, just to start off with this today, uh, we've been uh, having, as we noted in our statement, some uh, challenges with uh, the data system um, that we put into place uh, early in this year in terms of our daily case counts. And uh, over the past seven days, uh, this, this data uh, system has been, um, system issue has been resolved. And over the last seven days, uh, there's been an additional 254 cases that needed to be counted in the system. And those will be reconciled on the BCCDC dashboard um, by later today. So if you notice a discrepancy, uh, for those who follow those numbers, um, uh, that is what it is due to. And so for today, there are an additional 438 new cases, uh, including nine epidemiologically linked cases in, in the last 24 hours. So that does not include the 254 cases over the last seven days. But that does bring our total up to 81,367 people in BC who've uh, been diagnosed with COVID-19. And for today, that includes 137 people in Vancouver Coastal Health, 249 in Fraser Health Authority, 19 people on the Vancouver Island Health Authority area, 16 people in Interior Health, and 17 people in the Northern Health Region. We now have 4,679 active cases across the province and 243 people in hospital, 63 of whom are in intensive care. Um, we have 8,445 people under active public health monitoring, but 75,255 people have now recovered. In the last uh, 24 hours, we have had two additional people who have died from COVID-19, bringing the total number of people who've died in our province to 1,365. As always, we do think of the families and the caregivers and the communities who will be mourning these two more people who've died in this pandemic. We have two new healthcare outbreaks, one at the Chartwell Carrington House retirement residence and independent living residence, and another acute care hospital at the, at the Eagle Ridge Hospital, uh, one ward there. 
and the Eden Gardens uh, outbreak has been declared over. We now have eight active outbreaks in long-term care or assisted living and eight in uh, acute care settings. Uh, of the uh, people in long-term care, that includes uh, 293 residents and 156 staff who are uh, affected. Uh, in terms of the variants of concern, uh, an update on those, we have 22 new confirmed cases, bringing our total number of uh, people with uh, variant infections of uh, COVID-19 to 182, eight of which are now active cases. The remaining people have uh, resolved or are no longer infectious. And right now that includes 159 people with the B117, the one that we're most concerned about, uh, increased transmissibility, and 23 with the, uh, the B1351 or the one that's associated with South Africa. The majority remain in the Vancouver, uh, in the Fraser Health Region, 124, and 50 in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region. And there are no increases in the numbers in other health areas. Um, nine cases overall have been hospitalized, but only one person is currently in hospital. And uh, we know that uh, we pay close attention to these cases to try and determine where and how people were infected. Um, about 13% are directly related to travel and 60% and are close contacts. But there are still uh, a 20 to 25%, a quarter of these cases, where we are not uh, clear where they acquired the source. And that reflects that we have uh, transmission going on in communities, particularly, as we know, in the Lower Mainland. Since the start of our immunization program in December, we now have delivered over 283, 182, uh, 283,182 doses of a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, 86,537 second doses as of yesterday. And as you know, uh, we have now made uh, the determination that we will be um, extending the dose interval between a first and second dose starting today. Um, and that uh, extension will be up to four months. Yesterday, as you know, we, we've uh, reported on, we've planned, we've uh, begun phase two of our COVID-19 immunization program that will in the next month see over 400,000 people in British Columbia immunized. And this is an incredibly important next step in our program. This continues to focus as well, particularly this week and next week on our high priority, higher risk individuals and groups and uh, then our first age-based, broad age-based population group, those most at risk, our seniors and elders 80 years of age and above. As you know, this pandemic has taught us a lot. We continue to learn about the virus, about how it's transmitted, and to review and adapt our approach based on scientific evidence and real-world data. So what we see from trials, from studies, and then what we actually experience in the real world. And we also, that has what has underpinned our immunization program, where our experience in communities here in BC that reflects what we're seeing around the world clearly shows us that the older you are, the higher your risk of having more severe illness or dying. 
We've also learned that outside of the lab, on the ground and real world, the initial dose of the proved vaccines that we have here in Canada are highly effective. Our goals, as I talked about yesterday, have always been to reduce morbidity and mortality, so to reduce sickness and death from COVID-19, to protect our health care system so that we can provide those necessary services to everybody who needs health care, and while doing that, to minimize as much as we can the disruption that this pandemic has made on our community and our society. The vaccine strategy that we have approached or that we are taking is the one that maximizes the greatest benefit to our whole community. And in our context right now in Canada and BC of our limited supply as cases continue to increase and we have transmission and outbreaks in our community, our focus is on maximizing the number of people who are benefiting from that very high real-world protection that we are seeing from a first dose of vaccine in BC. This new data that we have been following very carefully since the immunizations program, immunization program started around the world shows that we have sustained high levels of protection against illness, hospitalization and deaths from one dose of the three approved and effective vaccines. We are following the science of vaccines. We have been following vaccine efficacy and that's what we get from the clinical trials that are done under, under specific controlled conditions. So we know that anybody with certain conditions are, ruled out, are, are, are not included in those trials. Those trials were also using an interval that maximized our, our ability to get the information about whether these vaccines worked and were safe as quickly as possible. And that's why they used as short an interval as they could possibly use, in most cases three to four weeks. We also use the science of immunology, how our body's immune system adapts and uses and responds to vaccines. And this is a, a field of study that we have had for many, many years. And we have a lot of experience from other vaccine programs. And we know that it takes time for our body to develop antibodies and for our cell-mediated immunity, the second part of our immune system, to be stimulated and active so it can respond if you're exposed to a virus. We also now have started and are, are using the data that we get from what we call effectiveness. So efficacy is that, that um, trials, the clinical trials where everything is very rigidly controlled, and effectiveness is the real-world experience of what we're seeing when we use these vaccines in people in the real world. And we have been, uh, uh, from the very beginning, we have a great team of scientists at the BCCDC who have been doing this for many years uh, in terms of influenza, uh, looking at pertussis, all of the immunization programs that we have and understanding the vaccine effectiveness. How well do these vaccines work in our populations in BC, in Canada? And that's led by uh, Dr. Danuta Skavronsky at the BCCDC and, and her team and Dr. Monica Naus. And we have a lot of experience in this. And from the very beginning of our COVID vaccine immunization programs, we put in those studies 
those real-world population studies to understand the effect of these vaccines in our community. And we focused on the people most at risk in long-term care and healthcare workers. And that data tells us that the effect that we're getting, the benefit and the protection from a single dose after about three weeks is upwards of 90%. And that that lasts for a long time, at least for several months. So that is the type of information that we need to make those important decisions about what is the best way to maximize benefit. Plus, we add in data modeling, which helps us understand uh, who to immunize first and um, when when's the optimal time to have a second dose given the vaccine supplies that we are receiving over the next four to six months. And we've used the basics of what we call immunology, the body's immune system response, and vaccine science. And that is why I am so confident that the decision we made um, over this past weekend to extend that interval is the best one based on all of the science and the data that we have to maximize the benefit to everybody in our community here in BC so that we can both stop people from getting seriously ill prevent people from needing hospitalization and prevent people from dying, as well as getting well on our way to, to um, being able to reduce this disruptive restrictions that we have to put in place to prevent transmission of the virus in the near term. So we are now looking at months rather than many, many months before we can reach a level where people have enough protection. And the other part that we need to remember is that for everybody who's immunized, for the more people we have immunized in our community, the less probability that the virus has um, find somebody it can transmit to and pass on. And that protects all of us. So it magnifies the effect of an individual protection. And we know the positive impact of this goes further than even every individual that's vaccinated. So we know that the risk of passing the virus on to others is dramatically decreased. So it's added protection to all of us, to our communities, our families, and everybody that we're around. This is what we call a vaccine multiplier effect. And we know now with the newly added, uh, newly approved AstraZeneca Serum Institute of India viral vector vaccines that we have yet another safe and effective vaccine that will help us accelerate that effect by providing vaccines for, we're looking at essential workers and, and uh, uh, frontline first responders. While we don't know yet what our supply will be, this means that we can move everybody up the line and we can provide protection to those in our community who have shown up for work every day throughout this pandemic and we can protect them, their workplaces, their families and their communities. This is encouraging news for all of us. There is light ahead and it is getting brighter every day. But we are not yet there and we need to remember that particularly now as we're ramping up this program, we need to continue our levels of protection and not put aside those public health restrictions quite yet. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details we have to have the confidence that we are slowing the spread in a sustained way to stop easing our restrictions. But with this rapidly increasing number of people being immunized, that is going to happen sooner. And that means we can reduce those restrictions and increase visits in long-term care much sooner. And we can increase our social interactions sooner. Those are the things that are going to be important. We now know from the real-world data that we don't need to rely on second doses before we can lift some of these restrictions if we have enough people protected and we can stop that transmission in our communities. So that is our goal right now. And when we, we, by the time we get to the end of June, July, where we have everybody protected with a single dose, we will know more about when is the optimal timing for a booster dose. Do we need a booster dose that will help us deal with some of the variants that we're seeing in other parts of the world? All of that science is going on now. And by the time we get through these next few months, we'll have a better idea about that, about what we need to get us through the next respiratory season and the next few years. But right now, we know that maximizing the benefit of a single dose for more people in British Columbia is going to get us to our post-pandemic goal sooner and is going to protect more people, keep more people from needing hospitalizations, and prevent more people from dying. This means right now we need to stay committed to using our layers of protection to stay small, stay local, and remember to continue to be kind, be calm, and be safe. Thank you very much, Dr. Henry, and uh, I wanted to start by passing on my condolences and thoughts to the families, the friends, the caregivers of the two people who passed away uh, from COVID-19 in the last 24 hours in British Columbia, one in the Fraser Health Authority, one in the Northern Health Authority. This continues to be, and we reflect on this, a very difficult time to suffer loss, and we are thinking of you today and wanted to pass on, really on behalf of everyone in BC, but on behalf of the Premier and the government as well, our thoughts and our condolences to everyone involved. wanted to just um, uh, say with respect to the immunization campaign, as uh, uh, Dr. Henry has said, 283,182 doses, 186,654 different people have received first doses, 86,537 have received second doses to date in BC. 
want to note how significant that is now in long-term care. 95% of residents, or 29,484, have received um, their first doses of COVID-19 and many more their second doses. 97% of our target for workers in long-term care, which had been 39,000, that's 37,790 uh, such workers. 60,164 frontline social workers, 5,740 essential workers, 15,199 uh, community health care workers, 751 people waiting for long-term care who are in generally in acute care hospitals, 748 as we start uh, providing care to home care recipients. All of this uh, significant, all of this already occurred and all of it makes our health care system safer and you have seen the results in long-term care. Today there are only six remaining outbreaks in long-term care and I just want to thank all of the people involved in this so far. This is involved because the long-term care and the assisted living uh, clinics have all been individual clinics all over the province, more than a thousand different locations so far. This has involved an extraordinary effort by healthcare workers, by people who work in care homes, by the residents themselves, by everyone involved to support this effort. And all I feel towards everyone involved is a real sense of gratitude. Uh, this includes many people in rural and remote indigenous communities as well, in, in uh, First Nations communities in particular all across the province, uh, because that is a significant part of our plan as well and has involved tens of thousands of people uh, receiving their first dose immunizations. I want to just um, uh, respond to a question that I got a fair amount uh, through email last night from uh, uh, self-advocates, people with uh, people living with disabilities, people living with uh, developmental disabilities. I just want to note that the office of the PHO, I think it's Deputy Provincial Health Officer Daniel Ben-Smith, regularly uh, meets with organizations representing people with disabilities, including developmental disabilities, and uh, are very aware and very focused on the particular challenges faced by these groups. The Provincial Health Services Authority in particular, uh, Maureen O'Donnell, the Vice President there who has been working on this file, has been working hard to Ish deal with the issues around uh, prior prioritization in the vaccination program. Some people uh, who uh, are living with disabilities uh, will be receiving or have received uh, uh, been prioritized in their current phase of our immunization plan depending on where they reside. For example, people with disabilities in group homes uh, will be in phase two, which are vulnerable populations living and working in select congregate settings. Adults with very significant developmental disabilities that increase risk to COVID-19 are prioritized in phase three of the plan under the category people aged uh, 69 to 16 who are clinically vulnerable and, and will be immunized at the same time as people who are 74 to 70 uh, years old and that will be in April. Making immunizations available to these groups will be coordinated through specialty clinics and medical providers. So I wanted to pull up to date of that. Obviously that information is available, but we have an extraordinary community, a, a vigorous community of self-advocates uh, and families who advocate for family members. So I wanted to just make sure that people had uh, that information. Uh, uh, I wanted to note that we will produce providing in the statement information about PPE and this arrived in the province over the last couple of weeks. And those who are interested in that can uh, can look to the statement for that information. I think uh, in closing, I want to say that there are certain words that uh, mark good days in our BC pandemic, days when we hear and read uh, that uh, vaccines have been approved, vaccines have arrived, and people are getting their shots. 
simple words and short phrases that are enormous in their meaning and their power to renew us. We know that our collective work is not over. We understand that our individual duty to stop the spread and save lives continues. It is as important now as it has ever been. But Friday's news of Canada's approval of a third vaccine, along with the key parts of our immunization commitment presented yesterday and that Dr. Henry has spoken of today, these stand as good days. And it is my hope that these good days provide each of us with restorative peace of mind and that we can all take comfort in, the welcome, in this welcome period and, and with the understanding that other good days are going to follow. Aujourd'hui, nous annonçons 695 nouveaux cas qui ont testé, excusez-moi, 400, euh, j'ai ajouté des autres cas là-bas, les 254 nouveaux cas, c'est 438 nouveaux cas qui ont testé positif pour COVID-19, euh, pour un total de 81-367 cas en Colombie-Britannique. Nous sommes attristés d'annoncer deux nouveaux décès liés au COVID-19 pour un total de 1.365 décès en Colombie-Britannique. Nous offrons nos condoléances à tous ceux qui ont perdu leurs proches pendant cette pandémie. Euh, comme vient de dire euh, la Dr. Henry, euh, on a ajouté pendant la dernière semaine 254 nouveaux cas, cas qui n'ont pas été considérés avant et ces cas-là vont être ajoutés à nos, à nos total des cas. Parmi l'ensemble des cas confirmés de COVID-19 en Colombie-Britannique, 243 personnes sont actuellement hospitalisées, dont 63 en soins intensifs. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. We're happy to take your questions. Thank you, Minister. As a reminder to everybody on the phone line, please press star one to enter the queue. You will be limited to one question and one follow-up. I would also ask that you please take your phones off mute. You are not audible until your name is called. First question today is from Rob Buffum, CTV VI. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, Dr. Henry, I guess what I'm wondering, and you did lay out in a great deal of detail the uh, rationale for the four-month time period, but I'm hoping you can react um, to the criticism that you might have heard from Canada's Chief Science Advisor likening the extension to um, basically a population experiment in the absence of clinical data. And I know Dr. Fauci in the States has also recommended against extending that time period. Can you just respond, I guess, specifically to those criticisms? And uh, I'll start with Dr. Fauci, who uh, I, I think you have to read the entirety of what he said. And it was that he did not recommend the extension of doses in the United States because he felt they had sufficient vaccine that they could um, use that sa same time frame, which is fine. And he also went on to talk about the fact that uh, he had regular meetings with the UK. The UK is using a similar time frame to what we are and they have extended uh, the interval between first and second doses and have from the very beginning. And part of the data that we use to understand the real-world effectiveness of the vaccine came from the UK and came from the experience that they're having there that a single dose is very protective. And Dr. Fauci um, went on to say that each of those um, approaches is correct and is right and works for them. And we are in a position where we are uh, looking at the data from the UK, but we're also in a position that's quite different from the US in terms of our vaccine availability in the short term. 
and we are at a position where we still have ongoing transmission in our communities in quite a serious way, particularly here, Ontario, um, a number of communities across the country. So this makes sense for us knowing that it is a critical time right now with the limited amount of vaccines that we have in the coming weeks to be able to provide that protection that is safe and long-lasting in the short term, so for several months, to everybody here. And, and that is why we made the decision that we did. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit unfortunate that the National Science uh, Advisor, um, who, you know, obviously was not involved in some of these uh, discussions and decision-making, um, and perhaps didn't understand the context that this decision was made in. So it is absolutely um, a, our intent to continue to do the studies that we are doing. Um, and I mentioned this from the BCCDC, the vaccine effectiveness, to make sure that we are monitoring carefully for um, making sure the vaccine is working and that that level of protection continues in our communities and help us understand the level of protection that we achieve when we um, immunize more people more quickly. So that's uh, how we made the basis of our decision. I will also say the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, which is an independent body which looks at immunization programs routinely, will be coming out with a statement shortly. Rob, do you have a follow-up? Um, I do. I guess I'm maybe a two-part of it. I'm just wondering about in yesterday's presentation, I, as I understood it, you sort of referenced that there in fact may be a benefit to there being the extension to four months. You talked about uh, international uh, data as well as from Canada, talking about a benefit to extending the dose, uh, the second dose, to four months. So, do I understand correctly? Not only may this be, a, you know, a, a compromise that, that's necessary, but one that may come with benefits. And I don't know if you're also able to answer. You mentioned uh, end of June is when everyone may have a first shot by now, which seems like it's even more positive than yesterday's news. Well, if we if we look at just Moderna and Pfizer and what uh, the amounts that were um, scheduled to receive, you know, assuming everything goes as planned, it will actually be mid July. But with the addition of of uh, AstraZeneca and uh, perhaps soon uh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine as well, um, we may be able to move that up. So I was probably slightly over optimistic, but we are looking at July. Um, and, and yes, we know from immunology that uh, the booster dose, the timing of the booster dose can sometimes confer additional benefit in terms of the, the strength of the immune response, particularly the cell-mediated immunity, and have a prolonged benefit in, in uh, how long the response lasts. And we know this from other uh, vaccine programs, particularly uh, hepatitis programs, hepatitis A and hepatitis B, when we find um, that if you increase the interval, if you give it too soon, we know this from immunology and from vaccine science for a long time. If you give it too soon, your body's immune system just doesn't recognize it as something new. It's just a little bit of a bump of stimulus of the, of the first dose that you got. But if you extend it a period of time that's um, up to six months, um, for some things it can be as long as a year, but six months is a usual one, um, then you can uh, get a more durable and longer lasting protection. We don't know that for sure yet. These are all new vaccines, um, and we've only been monitoring them for now uh, uh, close to five months for uh, some of the vaccines um, from the clinical trials, etc. So those are things.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. That we still have yet to determine, and those are the things that we're going to be watching, and we're we're going to be uh, watching what happens. There's a, a mix and match study, as we call it, going on in the UK. So starting with one vaccine, looking at different dose intervals, um, giving a second dose with a different vaccine to see if any one of those combination gives you longer lasting and better protection. So all of this stuff is, is uh, new and we're going to be learning as we go over the next few months. But we are confident in the decisions we've made right now and we're going to know a whole lot more by the time we get to uh, June and July. Next question is from Justine Hunter, Globe and Mail. Hi, thanks. Um, Dr. Henry, I spoke with uh, Dr. Mona Niemer today as well, and she's essentially calling on you to show your work. Don't just say that the data supports this change, but show us. And I'm just wondering if you're able to release some of the data that you based this decision on for the four months gap instead of, say, three months, which is kind of what you've been talking about before this week. So um, we did present the data. Um, Denise Gavronsky has published a paper. We've got it on the BCCDC website about the vaccine effectiveness. Um, Quebec as well has published their vaccine effectiveness data going out uh, for, for a number of weeks. Um, there's data that's published in the New England Journal. There's pre-publications that we were able to see uh, some of the data from the UK and the National Advisory Committee on Immunization has, that has ex examined the, those data in detail as well. So I am not obviously at liberty to publish that. There are some papers that have been in the literature right now from Israel. Plus, we've had meetings with them. Um, so there is BC data that we are absolutely out there publishing. And I know Dr. Skrvonsky and her team are, have put a number of it up on the BCCDC website, and others are in publication now. But all of those data were examined um, by our Immunization Committee and by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. Follow-up, Justine? Yeah, thanks. Um, you said NASI will be coming up with a statement shortly. Is that today, or do you have an idea? Because I know a number of provinces are saying they want to wait and see what NASI advises before they uh, upgrade their policies. Obviously, some interest in getting more people uh, vaccinated sooner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid you're going to have to ask them. I know it is imminent is the closest I can say. Um, and that was obviously a topic of discussion by our Council of Chief Medical Officers of Health uh, on our call on the weekend and, uh, and again today. Richard Zussman, Global News.
I'm just wondering uh, if you are uh, worried about the stability of future supply uh, coming from Ottawa. And one of the things that was noted from Ottawa today was uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine could come pretty quickly, 300,000 by as early as next week, but it expires by April 2nd. BC doesn't have a plan for AstraZeneca yet. Do you believe we can distribute that vaccine uh, by that April 2nd deadline? Yeah, so, um, it, it, you know, we've now got confirmation from Pfizer out to the end of April. That came through today. So that's good news. Um, the, the, you know, obviously, we are not the ones managing the contracts with the suppliers. That's happening through our, the, the National Operations Centre in Ottawa. Um, but we know they have been working hard. And this is one of those things there across the country. All of us are working together on this. We all want this to work as best we can. We're sharing information daily, um, and we have those uh, really strong connections with with Ottawa. And uh, they uh, they tell us, and y you can confirm it with them, but they do tell us that uh, the new production facility that uh, Pfizer has brought online is working well, and that they are confident that they're going to get uh, the doses that they've confirmed between now and the end of April. We also understand that uh, the ongoing uh, uh, um, modification that were made in the Moderna plant means that they are able to ramp up production not just for Canada but for uh, for global good and we know that there are some other um, uh, vaccine candidates that were not successful in early trials. If you remember uh, months ago we were talking about uh, 159 trials that were started in phase one and phase two and there's a number of them still, uh, a couple dozen that are now in phase three trials. So there's likely to be more vaccine in the, in the near future as well, which is good for all of us because we are not all safe until every country is protected. And that's also really important. So the short answer is yes, we're confident uh, relatively confident. We can't always say um, for sure, but we are confident uh, in the doses that we're getting this week and in the next few weeks, and we're ramping up to, to meet that need. The, the nice thing about um, the AstraZeneca is that it is a fridge-stable vaccine, which means we can use different, uh, more flexible uh, distribution systems. So yes, uh, I know that uh, some of the expiration date will be uh, uh, late uh, March, early uh, April, and uh, we will use whatever we can get because we know that it's going to make a difference. Follow up, Richard. Thank you. I'd like to ask for a colleague on the BCHL. Where does the proposal now stand, uh, considering uh, that they have played a number of exhibition games, all doing so well traveling without a single COVID transmission issue, They've proven they can safely play under guidelines, so why not approve uh, if you haven't already uh, for that league to get back underway? Yeah, so it, it's not a, a simple question. As you know, uh, the guidance that we had, the safety plans we had in place prior to November, um, were not adequate in a lot of different scenarios because we knew we saw that this uh, virus started to transmit a lot easier during the the colder winter months, and we're still in that period. 
So what we have, what I've put together uh, some time ago, um, back in our restart days uh, in March or April and May last year, we pulled together a team of, of public health inspectors, medical health officers, um, people from WorkSafe, people from uh, Sport, Via Sport, uh, to look at different aspects of reopening. One of those was a key one around sport. And uh, the, the, uh, they're the ones that provide advice to me around whether we should accept variances or not to the, the gatherings and uh, events order. Um, and, and they do uh, consultation back and forth with the different leagues um, and provide advice on where, where are the areas of concern. And right now they are continuing to work with the BCHL and with our regional teams because the plan um, is dispersed around the province in a way that slightly different from the, the Western Hockey League, for, for example. So I, that is still in the consultation process, and there have been a number of concerns identified, I, I'll be blunt about that, um, that uh, need to be addressed before we can, uh, before that can happen safely. And I know timing is an issue, and uh, whether those can be worked out or not, I am not clear. Marcella Bernardo, News 1130. I have to follow up on Richard's question because uh, I need to know if the WHL has been approved now because we're already reporting that they're planning to start up again at the end of March. So if you could clarify whether or not the five uh, BC teams in the WHL will actually be playing games in Camelton, Kelowna later this month. That's correct. The Western Hockey League has been approved. We were talking about the BCHL. Now, follow up, Marcella. Um, okay, and so just to, to follow up, oh, we're not, a completely different question. Um, school safety heading into spring break, and have you given any thought to, now that we have so many variant cases in hot zones in the Fraser Health region and, um, and, and in the lower mainland, have you given any thought to possibly starting spring break sooner, sending kids home earlier um, in places where there seems to be a lot more exposures linked to variant cases? Uh, have I given any thought to it? Of course. Um, have we been consumed by worrying about these issues? Yes. Um, and we know for some school districts, uh, uh, March break starts earlier. The main uh, focus is uh, the 16th, starting uh, the week of the 16th. Um, and yes, we've been uh, speaking a lot with the school districts. Um, uh, Dr. Gustafson from my office and the BCCDC has been uh, engaging with uh, the, the schools. Um, we've been looking at parks and rec. We've been looking at, you know, how can we find safe places for uh, young people to, to have um, activities during March break that they can socialize some more, but do it in a way that is, that is safe. So we are looking at a whole lot of things. It's not an easy question. Um, timing of, of when schools start and, and, uh, and restart and, and when the break starts is all with the Ministry of Education. Um, we are also working really closely, and Fraser Health is working very closely with, particularly the Surrey School Board, the sorry, ugh, Surrey School District, to to look at what are the issues um, in the schools. How can we enhance, protect, um, do the things that we need in that district to address the high level of transmission in the communities that, again, as you mentioned, is reflected in the schools. 
Um, part of that, of course, is doing uh, extra testing around people who are infected with these variants to make sure we can stop transmission. Even if we don't know how they um, became infected, we can ensure that we're not getting rapid takeoff. Um, that is what we're focusing on right now, focusing on where we were. Um, if you think back to March of last year, when we were talking about how important it was to do contact tracing both backwards and forwards. So um, making sure we try and understand as best we can where things are being transmitted and how and who so that we can um, absolutely uh, ensure that we're not allowing transmission to take off. That's been our focus right now. If we look though at school breaks, where we see transmission increasing in school-aged children is when they're not in school. So that is something we need to take into account as well. So all of these um, discussions are definitely going on and we will have more to say about that in the coming days and week. I say week because it's coming up very quickly for many. Next question is from Cindy Harnett, Times Colonist. Thanks very much for this. Um, can you offer further detail into the instructions to health um, authorities this week, uh, Island Health, for instance, um, on um, when they must cancel the second doses and for whom they are canceling the second doses? For example, I, I guess people in long-term care. And is the idea to turn some of those second-dose clinics um, that are canceled into first-dose clinics for others? Yeah, so um, as you know, this the discussions around this have been ongoing as the evidence has been building over the last week, really, um, when the, the studies from the BCCDC from Quebec uh, and uh, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization was meeting last week. So we did have discussions about this over the weekend. Uh, we had discussions about is there some people where you should uh, make sure they have a second dose for their own individual protection. And really the data showed us that that even those most vulnerable people in long-term care homes had that really high protection after a single dose. So it was felt uh, um, by uh, the uh, immunization team that there is no need for anybody right now to need that second dose and that, that we needed to stop them as of when we made the decision yesterday. And so every dose today that would go to a second dose is now going to protect an additional person in our community, in the high priority groups. So uh, the decisions were made to, to pivot um, across the board because there is no uh, evidence that suggests that one person more than another um, needs that small bit of individual protection and we do better by everybody um, by spreading those doses to other high-risk people. So uh, that was the direction given to all health authorities and some clinics were switched um, uh, to uh, instead of having people come in for second doses, they were able to bring people in for the same vaccine to protect more people in that community. And I know that's happened in a number of communities, but it a little bit depended on logistics. Cindy, do you have a follow-up? Thanks very much. I, I wonder if you can um, describe a little further. I'm taking it that that pivot is, is a, a major one um, for many of the health authorities. And um, with the accelerated timelines, um, what would that mean with respect to long-term care? Would we maybe see the um, increased visits move up sooner too, and if so, when? 
Yeah, so that is, the, that, this is the positive thing. We are not saying that everything else stays the same, that you have to wait for a week after your second dose before you're allowed to do those things. Um, we're now saying that evidence shows us that that high level of protection is there, at least in the short term, after one dose. So that does move up the timeline for us to be able to increase visits to, uh, to long-term care. We, we're focusing on ensuring that essential visitors are immunized and that we are doing our best to protect people who go in. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Into long-term care because uh, we still want to make sure that it is safe for everybody in those environments. We've already, thankfully, seen increased activities within care homes because we've had such a high immunization level in care homes and, and for quality of life, that is so, so important. Um, but yes, we expect within the next uh, before the end of this month to be able to uh, increase visits and have families be together uh, with their loved one in care homes. I know this is something that's important for us. Yeah um, and this is something we're working on now and I think Dr. Henry made this uh, uh, clear when she spoke of it yesterday and it's something that's very important to us obviously is to address an increase and try and provide some uh, it won't be a return to normal, it can't be a return to normal during the pandemic, but a return to closer to normal, which is what we're looking for. And so that work is being done and has been going on throughout the pandemic and has uh, accelerated now. So we'll be working on that. Just to put it in context, that's uh, 196,654 dose, first doses and 86,537 uh, second doses. So that's approximately 110,000 people who had have received first doses who would be following the new guidelines and uh, the new situation having a second dose delay. But the good news in that is a lot more first doses, a lot more places we can keep safe. I'd also say that at the moment, the majority of people in long-term care uh, have received second doses as well, a majority of residents, a majority of staff, because that's been the plan we've been going on up to now. And the response in long-term care, the 69,000 residents and staff, the almost 6,000 essential visitors, the 15,000 community health care staff, in addition to that, the 60,000 frontline staff people who've received immunization, that's made a real difference. And you can see that in the outbreak numbers and you can see that in the quality of care. We still have some work to do in making our uh, healthcare institutions safe, particularly in acute care. You saw some number of increased um, outbreaks in acute care because in that case, uh, we have uh, people coming in and out of the facilities, new patients, obviously every day. So we're working on those issues as well. But in long-term care, a lot of progress has been made in the last uh, number of days, in the last number of days and weeks since we've begun the immunization campaign. You see it in the numbers. And we're obviously going to be working uh, to make uh, changes to make life better there. And that's really, really, really good news. Katie DeRosa, Vancouver Sun. Hi, uh, Dr. Henry. I'm just wondering, um, I 
you had said yesterday that uh, essential workers could opt for the AstraZeneca vaccine if they wanted to uh, get uh, vaccinated sooner. I'm wondering about vaccine choice for the general public uh, when it gets to uh, you know phase two, uh, phase three and four. Will members of the general public, uh, if they're say offered AstraZeneca, could they uh, decline it and wait longer to get the other two, or what is the level of choice available to the general public? So, so let me be very clear. The vaccine you are offered is the best vaccine. All of the vaccines that we have available for use in Canada are safe and effective, and a single dose provides good protection from all of them. And we will be continuing to monitor that. The, the difference that we have, we built the foundational part of our immunization program on the two vaccines that we have the most of early on, and that's the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So if you are in our mass clinics, those are the vaccines we'll be using. And no, you won't have a choice between Pfizer and Moderna. You'll take the one that's, uh, that's there in front of you, and I encourage everybody to take the one that's there in front of you. Um, when it comes to the additional vaccines that we are having, the advantage they have for us is that we are able to be more agile in how we use them because they are stable at fridge temperatures, which means we can go into more places in the community. And we know from modeling studies and from the data that we have about who's transmitting to whom that some of the key areas that we can um, use immunization to help stop transmission in our communities, that, that gets us to the end of the pandemic sooner. So that's why we're talking about focusing uh, vaccine on some of the essential workplaces where people cannot work from home, where we've had outbreaks in the past, and of course on, on first responders who have been out there on the front lines every day and are at risk because of their job of uh, spreading it between each other and, and having to isolate and, and the administrative um, challenges that that provides as well. So that's where we will be targeting this more um, flexible vaccine uh, early on. And uh, so there is a little bit of, a bit of choice. I would not suggest people wait. Um, these vaccines are all good and they all work. And we've seen that uh, across the world. Um, so the vaccine that you have is the best vaccine right now. And uh, we'll be coming out with some more details. We're looking at the numbers and where we can have the best impact and some of the modeling about who's transmitting to who to help us uh, look at the limited number of doses that we have to begin with uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Follow-up, Katie? Yes, but is it still accurate that the, the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, will not be used for, for anyone over 65 because of the limited clinical research? Yeah, it is approved for use by Health Canada, but our program here in BC is to focus it on the younger age groups because we have a very strong program uh, based on age, um, and we think that the you know the timing for people in their 60s will be in the next few months. Whereas we know that if we can target younger people who have more social interactions, who would have to wait much longer for the Moderna Pfizer vaccines, um, that we can make a greater impact and protect more people in that um, sector. So we are, our program will be targeting at younger people, yes. 
we have time for one more question. For everyone listening, Dr. Henry and Minister Dix will release a statement this afternoon with the latest information on cases, hospitalizations, and outbreaks, which you can find at news.gov.bc.ca. For updated province-wide restrictions, visit gov.bc.ca forward slash COVID restrictions. And for, the Im for information about the province's orders and pandemic supports, visit gov.bc.ca forward slash COVID-19. Last question today is from Tanya Fletcher, CBC. Dr. Henry, you mentioned widespread easing of restrictions um, will happen when we see slower spread and ramped up vaccines, but our new case numbers have kind of stalled or plateaued for several weeks now, despite the vaccine getting into people's arms already. So is there a more specific benchmark you'll be watching for on that front? Um, when should we expect daily caseloads to reflect the vaccine effort, aside from the success in long-term care homes we've already seen? Yeah, um, you, you know, we've, we've been, we think it's a lot, um, but yes, we've been targeting those uh, high-risk areas where we're seeing outbreaks where we knew people were being hospitalized and dying, so, um, and we've seen the success of that. Doing that on a broader population basis is going to take more time, and that's why we're looking at how can we strategically target some of those um, other settings where we're seeing outbreaks, and that will help um, reduce the risk of transmission for all of us in the community. So it does build up over time and the things that we watch are that rolling day seven average, uh, rolling seven day average because we know that uh, due to the way our lab system works, some days we uh, have more cases than others reported, but it's much more important about when people, are, when their onset of illness is and that's the epidemiologic curve that we look at on a regular basis. Um, so we will be targeting vaccine to see if we can affect that as well. Uh, so rolling days, seven day rolling average where the outbreaks are happening, looking at our hospitalizations and our uh, and people in ICU, that's a really important metric that helps us understand if we're um, immunizing the right populations for one thing. Um, so I, I, and the other thing that, that we keep learning about this virus, um, we're, we're learning about the variants, we're focusing a lot of our attention on case and contact tracing to make sure that those variants don't take off. That is my biggest worry right now and I've said that repeatedly. Um, you know, we, we are in that strange period of trying to understand how many of these we're seeing and where we're going to and trying to stop any sort of rapid increase. We've seen from the modeling that that's what's projected some places. Um, but we believe we can affect that by um, the measures that we have in place. And we know that once we get into spring, the transmissibility overall will go down a little bit. So um, if things go well, if we're able to even hold our line or keep it preferably, uh, decrease it, hit some of those hot spots, um, by the time we get to even uh, early April, we may see some limited ability to, to increase interactions. Um, but I really think that we're looking at the summer getting back to uh, a lot more of uh, the things that we need in terms of social interactions, in terms of the uh, sports and uh, theatre and other things that we are, we are missing in our lives. Follow up, Tanya. Yes, thank you. Um, we're hearing from some First Nations leaders who are saying there's a lack of clarity about vaccine allocation uh, since an unexpected change to the vaccine rollout plan last week. Uh, they're also seeing, they say, an inequitable distribution between communities where some appear to continue to get vaccines for the whole community 
while others are being told their allocation is limited to specific age groups. Any insight into why that's happening? And if we could get an answer in front as well, please. Thank you. You know, this has been uh, this has been a priority for me and for us in our immunization program from the very beginning. And we have spent, uh, we've worked very closely with our First Nations partners um, to make sure we've identified those remote and isolated, to start with, the remote and isolated communities and take an all of community approach. I will say that during our period of time uh, in uh, in January into February where vaccine was strictly limited, where we had no supplies coming in, particularly of the Moderna and most of the, the vaccine that we sent to uh, the remote isolated and then increasingly uh, providing immunization as av available to uh, First Nations communities in, in areas all over the province. It was Moderna vaccine that we were relying on and we had a very a number of weeks where we had very little Moderna vaccine. Um, and we had to make the decision uh, with our First Nations Health Authority partners to, to focus on protecting as many elders and seniors as we could uh, in that period of limited vaccine. I can say that uh, we've been in discussions now about how important it is now that we have delayed the second dose that frees up a lot of vaccine that we can get back to the whole of community approach. And do you want to speak to that? <laughs> and just say, uh, Tanya, I mean, I understand that consideration uh, and that concern from some uh, First Nations communities and others. But uh, I think the decisions made this week and the path going forward and the extraordinary effort everyone's made together over the last few weeks are really going to be, I think, very positive. And uh, so, yes, there are some communities that had a whole of community approach and others where we uh, were much more working with our partners, uh, targeting immunizations to those who are most vulnerable. That has occurred. And now that we've freed up some access to vaccine, we'll be able to continue on with more of a whole of community approach. And you'll be seeing that in the coming, uh, in the coming weeks. Je dirais en français que nos communautés euh, Premières Nations euh, faisaient une partie euh, essentielle de notre plan de vaccination en Colombie-Britannique, euh, à peu près euh, à 20 000 euh, immunisations directes dans des communautés partout dans la province qui sont pour la, pour la majorité euh, rurales. On a aussi euh, utilisé euh, cette, euh, ces vaccinations pour répondre aux difficultés dans des communautés particulières, y compris euh, euh, des communautés comme euh, le Nakazli, comme le Cowichan, etc. Donc, on est à un nouveau moment actuellement, c'est-à-dire un moment où on a ouvri, ouvert un peu notre capacité de livrer des, des vaccinations un peu partout. Et je pense qu'avec nos partenaires dans la FNHC et... Euh, et, et d'autres, on va réussir à, à, à continuer nos, nos efforts, mais à améliorer et à augmenter nos efforts dans ces communautés. C'est absolument essentiel. Les efforts des communautés des Premières Nations, des communautés autochtones, des communautés partout dans la, dans la province, l'effort dans ces communautés est très important dans la mesure où nous avons vu beaucoup de cas, beaucoup de transmissions récemment, pas au commencement de la, euh, de la pandémie, mais surtout récemment. Il, faut, il va falloir euh, répondre à cela. Et je pense que notre campagne, dès aujourd'hui, va, va 
euh, améliorer et augmenter nos efforts euh, dans ce domaine. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. We'll see you on Thursday. Thank you for joining us. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.